This week on Living the Call, Deacon Charlie sits down with Larry Smith, husband, father, and executive director of the Spitzer Center of Visionary Leadership. Prior to this, Larry spent 30 years working in corporate America before serving as CEO and president of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. In this episode, Deacon talks with Larry about his personal career journey to the Spitzer Center. The work of the center, founded on Father Spitzer's Four Levels of Happiness model, reflects profound classical and Christian insights into the human desire for happiness. One of the tenets of the Four Levels of Happiness is to look for the good in the other before you look for the bad. Mm. Always start with, what is this person doing that they're doing well and that I can benefit from or learn from or I can enhance or I can add to? and stop looking at yourself. That's when you become really confident because now God and the Holy Spirit is flowing through you and you get yourself out of the way. That's the devil talking. When it's all about you, that's just the devil coming and saying, that's the serpent whispering in Eve and Adam's ear in the the Garden of Eden. You know, of of course you're as good as he is. Well, you're not and you need to give it up and let that, that love, that mercy, compassion of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and his gifts flow through you. And when you do that, now you're really, you're on, you're firing on all cylinders and you can truly be successful. This is Living the Call. Larry Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. It's great to have you. Can I call you Larry, by the way? I know it's Lawrence. Absolutely. Please. Have you, have you always been a Larry or is it, did you have a moment in time? I met a guy recently who was, I knew him for 15 years as Danny and then all of a sudden he told me, he's like, you know, I prefer Daniel. I'm like, well, you could have told me that, but, you know, like in the <laughs> 90s. Right. You know what? My father called me Lawrence and it's Lawrence with a U. Not with a, a U. That's the right. Most people spell Lawrence, L-A-W. Mine was L-A-U. And my father called me Lawrence until the day that he died. But everybody else pretty much called me Larry. So oh, that's nice. I go either way. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, use, uh, I'll use Larry. So I've been awesome. looking. I've been looking forward to this conversation because you know you and I. Um, maybe we've crossed paths in a number of different places, and I don't know because we we kind of go to some of the same watering holes. But I had an opportunity to spend some time with you as you facilitated a board retreat, and a lot of the stuff that you shared really, um, you know, really struck a chord. In particular, you know, the story that you told of you know how God has worked in your life from that kind of you know, corporate, I have it all, but I'm sort of miserable and empty moment to the kind of breakdown through the breakthrough to where you are right now. So mm-hmm. a lot of that hit home for me because I found myself, you know, I, I've, I have a similar story, not identical, but it really struck me um, what you shared about how, you know, how the Lord kind of called you in this um, to what you're doing now in a, in, in a, a bit of an unorthodox way. Mm-hmm. You want me to share some of that? I can. Uh, it was, it's, it's a, it was a, it wasn't a journey I expected a, and it wasn't one that I'd signed up for. As a matter of fact, I kept submitting my plans to God and he never listened. <laughs> you know? Like, come on, God, I, I told you what I wanted. Um, I, uh, you know, uh, make a long story short. I was, uh, a group on the South side of St. Louis, relatively low income, uh, wound up getting uh, going to Mizzou and my brother went into the cable business and pulled me along with him after uh, starting my career in the backpacking industry. And, um, you know, I was running backpacking stores and teaching, you know, uh, extreme sports back before, when they were just getting started. And, were you, uh, were you an out, outdoors guy at all? Like, is that what uh, got you? Yes. 
Yep. Backpacker, rock climber, whitewater canoeing, caving. And Mm -hmm. I grew up in Missouri, so you had a lot of modest uh, activities in those areas, except caving. Missouri has great caves. Mm. Uh, And nice little water streams and some, you know, modest uh, rock climbing. But you spend a lot of time in the Ozarks. It's a beautiful place. And we spent a lot of time outdoors. And then we'd come out to Colorado to climb. But um, I, I got pulled out of that thinking that's where I was going to start. And I went into the cable industry early in the, in the early 80s. And uh, that's at the big boom and, of, the ca- of cable. That's when it all started happening. Uh, I remember it, it was, it was the Internet of the 80s. I mean, it was like it a whole was. new world. Absolutely. It's exactly what it was. And it was, uh, you know, it was I, I met with meteoric success and took off and I was good at sales. I was good at, you know, opening up doors and closing deals and following up. And so my career took off. And for 15 years, I was just on a rocket ship. And I like to, you know, I joke that at 40, I had a million. At 50, I, I owed a million. Um, and that was that's one of, kind that was of what one happened. Of the, I, that was one of the lines <laughs> that struck me when I first heard it. Yeah. I, uh, I believe my own press, you know. And uh, so I started my own, started uh, companies, went into an entrepreneurial venue starting internet companies um, in the late 90s, 97, right when the internet was taken off. Again, super early. Of, pioneer. Of very early. Well. Yeah. Yep. Had a couple hit and then had a couple of disasters, you know, where uh, we were starting things with our credit cards and they blew up and, um, you know, and, and so over a period of the next 10 years, um, had a number of business failures and, um, when I was about to turn 50, uh, I decided that my drinking was part of the problem. So my mm. wife and I quit at the mm. same time, I, which was a blessing. I, I hadn't asked her to. I just decided I was going to quit. And then she wound up joining me uh, days later. I mean, it was a media kind of thing. And that was the beginning of kind of our turn. Um, the other thing is that in the cable business and in some of the other businesses, um, I was never really comfortable. It's not what I wanted to do. I always had a strong faith. And, you know, I work... Uh, for Father Spitzer, I, I run his uh, organization called the Majus Center as the executive director. And he talks about the four levels of happiness. And St. Augustine speaks of, you know, my heart is restless until it rests in thee, Lord. And that is a classic example of where I was when I was in the cable business selling television. I was never really comfortable with it. And then later I, I worked at an organization called uh, On Command, which was a cable operator for hotels the massive amount of revenue that they got came from pornography, right? Uh, Businessmen Mm. using uh, that in hotels. And I was basically the COO at that time. And so uh, I, you know, I would go to stay at hotels and you would check all the channels, you would check pornography and, you know, you can't expose yourself to that stuff, that poison and expect to be untouched by it. And so I became an addictive, I'm an addictive personality. And uh, so me too, of course I became addicted to that as well. Uh, like alcohol and cigarettes and, you know, Larry, when, so, what, when you were, when you were starting at that company though, did, were you aware of sort of the ins and outs of what they were doing prior or did that become sort of like, was there a, a, a degree of awareness that increases you pop the hood and said like, Oh, this is what's really going on in, in this company. The latter, the latter. Yeah. The latter. I, had, I had an idea that certainly, you know, pornography was available in hotels. I had no idea that it represented 70, you know, 60 to 80% of the revenue being generated by those hotels at the time. And that's, that was the majority of things that people were watching uh, from those services until I got in there and started doing the work. And, and then it blew me away. And I only lasted a couple of years. I, I got out of there after about two and a half, three years. 
and unceremoniously, I might add, it was not, a, you know, it was a disagreement with the CEO and, mm. and thank God. I mean, it was really God Amen. pulling me out of something and saying, get out of here. And um, so I, I really struggled. I think I was made to work in the church my whole life. I went to uh, seminary, you know, prep in seventh and eighth grade, thinking that's my, what, I, what I was going to do and didn't wind up doing it. But I've always had a deep seated faith. So even when I was there, I struggled in all those companies thinking that I really wasn't fulfilling my mission. And um, about uh, 2012, I, I was my last organization that I tried to do a startup with in the media uh, space failed. And um, I found myself out of a job. My, my confidence shattered. I yeah. was 51 or 52. I thought my life was over. I was worth more dead than alive. I had a large insurance policy. And I, I had suicidal thoughts. I mean, I, I'd gone yeah. through that before and I didn't know which way to turn, but I knew I, I really deep down, I knew I couldn't commit suicide because it was a mortal sin. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's, it, you go it, back to, but it's funny that you say that though, because, and I, I mean, funny in the best possible, most appropriate way, of course, but um, the, the yeah. idea that the church's precepts and strictures, if you choose to look at them that way. Yeah, I, I I tend to look at those a lot like guardrails because sometimes, exactly you know, in right. particular cases like the one you've described, I mean, thanks be to God. The other one that comes up all the time for me is the precept of uh, Sunday mass attendance because yes. the idea is sometimes like, you know, you, you had a late night, or you're tired, maybe you're not feeling 100% or the kids are acting up or whatever it may be. And you're like, oh, I, you know. But it's that fact that you have that, that you that you should go, of course, but that you have, you have to go. Obligation. You have an obligation to go. That has right. gotten me. I don't know if that's maybe twenty percent coming up. It's it's not it's an it's not an insignificant amount of times that that's been the reason why it's like yeah. And of course, when you get out of mass, you're like, oh, thank God I went. It was incredible, and thank yeah. you, Jesus. And but it's like those right. things are so important in the walk. They are. They absolutely are. I, the same thing is true of marriage. You know, when I first got married, uh, my wife and I struggled in the first couple of years of our marriage. And at one point, I thought, you know, I'm I'm out of here. I'm not going to live with this. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I won't be able to go and receive communion ever again if I get yeah. divorced. And wow. it literally turned my head around and I said, well, I'm not, I'm not giving up my faith because I'm unhappy with something, you know, because I had a fight with my wife. So we figured it out and praise be to God. It's, uh, we'll be 40 years next year and, awesome. uh, three kids later. And, yeah. and really my wife has saved my life time and again. Me and, too. uh, you know, it's been a mutual benefit. I think I've been there for her. The other thing that I, that I just want to touch on really quickly, because I, I know you've told your story many times, but I want to kind of double click on a couple of things that I think are really meaningful. Mm -hmm. One of them is this sense of after this great ascendancy in the corporate world that you had and this sort of, you know, ending, a, a you know, starting a business that didn't work out and you're kind of out there floating in space and you're feeling, you know, you lose a lot of your confidence and, and people oh, I think yeah. can identify with that, but it's particularly strong, Larry in cases where the role that you had, in my experience, is one of, you know, business development, making new markets, closing deals, like meeting mm -hmm. a seller, you know, to just use that term broadly, who has lost his gig and the lack of confidence that is so pervasive in that particular case is like unique in my experience, right? It's the sense of my whole life is about creating markets, creating opportunity, transacting. And suddenly someone has let me go or my, you know, I didn't hit my number or something else happened. 
it can be literally sh- shattering on an identity level. Like, and, oh, and, it, totally. and it's something so interesting. I've come across so many times, uh, and that I think is, you know, uniquely pronounced. If your job was to go out there and make, because there's a providential aspect to it. Like I'm providing, right? And so when that doesn't work out, you're like, well, what am I good for? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so true. That is so true. And um, sometimes when you're in that role and you're successful, um, you can't help but be successful. It's like falling off a log. It's the easiest thing in the world. But the minute that turns and your confidence wanes or somebody, or you get fired, and this happened to me, I was shattered. I was just shattered. I thought, wait a minute, what do I do now? My whole identity was wrapped up in what I was doing. And the other thing is that you look back, and I was just thinking of reflecting on this a, a week ago. I was looking back at a number of these things. And I was thinking how, at times, how self-righteous I was, how I was doing really good and those people weren't. And I thought, man, if that's not a classic example of, I've got a beam in my eye and I'm talking to somebody about a splinter in theirs. And it just, and it, it takes a long time to get that through that. Even after sure. I had my, my crater and I started working, which I'll tell you in a minute, at Catholic Charities, I, it took, I, 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 I still didn't lose that sense until I mean, it took five years, you know, and now I'm in a place where it's like, holy cow. The first thing I start with is what did I do? You mm-hmm. know, where's I got to let me find that plank or that beam in my eye before I talk to you. Sure. And so I try and start things now. And Father Spitzer has been so great at this because one of the tenets of the four levels of happiness is to look for the good in the other before you look for the bad. Mm-hmm. Always start with what is this person doing that they're doing well? And that I can benefit from or learn from or I can enhance or I can add to and stop looking at yourself. You know, that's when you become really confident because now God and the Holy Spirit is flowing through you and you get yourself out of the way. That's the devil talking when it's all about you. That's just the devil coming and saying, you know, that's the the serpent whispering in Eve and Adam's ear in the the Garden of Eden. You know, of of course, you're as good as he is. Well, you're not. And you need to give it up and let that. That love, that mercy, compassion of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and his gifts flow through you. And when you do that, now you're really you're on you're firing on all cylinders and you can truly be successful. It's also in a, in a way um, it, it's not framed this way, but I also find that idea of of being you know self-centered, looking at yourself. And I've done it. I mean, countless millions of times, right, starting every sentence or every thought with yourself at the, at the center. It's also in a way kind of a bit of scarcity thinking, right? Because God is abundant and what he wants Mm -hmm. you to, in in any interaction that we have with any person, right? That idea of looking for the good in the other is also looking for what God is trying to transmit to us in that, in that exchange with the other person. We riffed on this, you you and I a little bit in the, in the session you were facilitating, because as you know, my wife and I do a lot of work with the homeless Mm-hmm. Where this comes up all the time is this idea of like s- sort of savior complex or fix and repair complex, right? Where where you're doing something good. It's objectively good. You're out there on the streets, you're encountering, you're feeding, you're doing whatever. But at the end of the day, if you ask yourself truly like what you're doing, you're kind of putting yourself first as, a, as, a, as like I'm solving this issue. And you're sort of foregoing the fact that God may be telling you something really important through what you're doing from that other person's perspective And that's something that I really dig about what you just said and what Father Spitzer does is like the starting point is like, wait, this is a mutual thing. This is a two-way street. Oh, hey, the person, you know, it's funny. When I was at Catholic Charities, um, uh, I used to talk to benefactors and I I never really asked people for money. But what I did talk to them about is I said, look, I 
I just want you to know that there's the old story about the giver and the receiver. And I would say, who do you think is the giver and who is the receiver in your relationship with the poor for you that have money? And of course, you know, everybody immediately says, well, I'm, I'm giving of the treasure that I have willingly. I mean, they were very altruistic about it and, and, and genuine. But I would say, no, you're not. You're not the giver. You're the receiver. Mm. God gave you all this treasure so that you would give it away. And as a result, you would benefit from the graces of those people allowing you to give away your treasure. Because if you die with it, guess what? You're not going to a good place. God gave that to you as a steward so you would share it. And if those people don't receive it, then you can't be a good steward. You're not able to give it. So in giving, you become the receiver of the greatest graces God has to offer, right? And and I and I would say that to them, and they would like look at me like, "Holy cow, I, I didn't really think of it that way." But after a while, as I developed relationships uh, relationships with a lot of these benefactors, they all came to say, "Man, I, I really appreciate you saying that. It changed the whole perspective about the wealth that I have. In that clearly, it's not mine, and I have to give it away in order to attain freedom and and ultimate salvation." Um, it's a classic rich man and Lazarus story, you know, in present day world. It just so reminded, it was. It just reminded me, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. It just reminded me of uh, one of my favorite cousins. We were a Hispanic family. My mom was one of 13 kids. I've got like gobs of cousins. And one of my favorite cousins, um, her name is Monica and she lives in Columbia still, but she visited, visited us recently. And um, she is, in my opinion, like the world's greatest, uh, most generous receiver and I talked to her about that, right? It just happened that she was walking through my house. She's like, oh, I really love that rosary. And I was like, here, have it. And she's like, oh, thank you. And, and, and it struck me that in a lot of cases where that kind of exchange happens, people go, oh, no, 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 don't. No, no, of course not. I just, I just was admiring it. I don't mean I need it. Like, and even right. that in so many cases is about you, right? It's like, wait a minute. I'm not, I, I want to give this to you, receive the gift, be a good receiver, obviously be a good giver, but it's something we definitely don't talk enough about. And there's grace in that. There's grace in allowing someone to be a gift to 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 you. And it's a, again, it's sort of a it's a mutual thing if it's done the right way. Absolutely, that is a great point. When when um, I'll just tell this query quickly, but I I was never a gracious receiver. You mm-hmm. know, I was always the giver. I was always the doer. I was always the champion. I would defend and protect and you know provide. And then when I we literally lost everything. And we found ourselves with our house in foreclosure. Our kids were in, in you know, college and a private mm-hmm. high school. And, and I had $200 in the bank and couldn't ask anybody else for any more money. I was up to my eyeballs in debt. Our house was going into foreclosure. We owed a million dollars. And, and, and one day I was at church and, um, and this all ties back to the receiver. And I was praying to God and it was like, Hey, I, I don't know what else you want. I'm, I'm kind of done here. I don't, I'm, I'm out of everything. And it was like, God finally waiting for me to say, okay, I'm yours. I give up. You know, I know that I don't, I don't have the answer. Sure. And as I was walking out of church, this man that I, I kind of knew walked up to me and he said, listen, Larry, I got to tell you, he says, I was praying over there and it just, I had this overwhelming sense that I had to come up and tell you that you'll know today. Because my prayer at that point in that morning, it was a 630 or 605 communion service. Um, after receiving communion, I was on my knees and I just said, God, I, I need to know today. I mean, it's today or I don't know what's going to happen. And honestly, I didn't. And so that was my prayer. I need to know today. And as I'm walking out, this guy comes up and says, 
hey, I, I'm supposed to tell you that you're going to know today. And I, I, I just, I, you know, I didn't at that moment, but I turned around and I walked out of the church as fast as I could because I was starting to cry. Wow. I was so overwhelmed. I didn't know which way to turn or what that meant. I got home. I'd been applying for all these jobs and at about 1030, I got a call from this company. I'll keep the names out of it. And uh, they said, hey, great news. You got this job. And I talked to my wife and I was blown away. I said, wow, I got this job. And it was going to start June 1. And I thought, okay. And we looked at each other like, well, what do we do between now and then? Right. And so we spent the day working on the house. And about three o'clock, I got a text on my phone from somebody. And they said, hey, I left you an envelope on your porch. And I went out there and there was an envelope with a cashier's check for $3,000 under this pot on my porch. And my wife and I were standing out on our porch, you know, like bawling. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who it was from at the time. I found out later. And that check got us, carried us over to the first check we got from this company. And then I wound up being an internal consultant for this company with a bunch of salespeople. And within about a month, one of the salespeople that I was consulting with hit the biggest deal that the department and the division had ever had, paid everybody's bonus out, 100% of it. And even though I was a new guy, because I was in the chain, after everybody got paid out, they turned around, paid out my bonus, which I took to the bank, got my house out of foreclosure, and my life took off. And I, I turned around and I said, okay, God, if this is what I got to do, because the job didn't require a whole lot of my intellectual capacity based mm -hmm. on a lot of jobs that I'd had. And so I said, well, then I'm going to be a deacon and proof that the church's discernment process is working. Of course, I, I went and applied to be a deacon. I, I got rejected because there was five, six guys from my parish that year that applied to be deacons and they only took a couple from every parish. And, uh, but in the process, I got offered the CEO of Catholic Charities job. Wow. And it was just, overwhelming benefit, blessing after blessing after blessing once I gave up my life. And that's where I learned how to be a good receiver. Because mm -hmm. from that point forward, I had people who knew what I was doing and they knew my story and they would just say, hey, do you need this? And it would be like right when everything was at zero and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, how did you know? I, I, you know, I don't know. We just knew that you would need it. And it was money and it were it was cars and it was food and it was this and that. And eventually, you know, uh, through prudence and, and, and saving, we, we got caught up on all of our bills and we didn't need that anymore. And then we were able to turn around and start blessing other people. And it was, it was God teaching me, Hey, slow down and let me be in charge. Let me pedal. Let me drive the bike. Let me drive the car. You sit and I'll take care of things. And the minute I did that, my life has changed forever. I mean, it's just remarkable. And when you say yes, and you let other people give to you, you are really allowing them to receive the grace of God. You're really giving back to them without knowing it. You so I, I changed my whole perspective on life. The, the interesting thing too is, um, and I don't know if at any point you felt this, particularly during the kind of maybe breakdown, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tapped. I, I, got, I got nothing left to give. The, one of the images that I get of that is this idea of shedding a lot of things in order for the Holy Spirit to actually be able to give you that which he wants you to receive, right? And so I don't know if at any point in the moment, it's hard to visual, it's hard to see that, right? Because you've got all these demands, you got kids in school, the more, the, you know, the house is leveraged, you got all these different challenges, 
But sometimes, and again, this is based on my own experience, you know, God is constantly trying to sort of clear the decks so that he can get through. And it's almost like a big reset that can happen. And it can happen maybe gently for some people over a period of time and for other people based on maybe their temperament, their personality or whatever. It's a much harder break. It's a much more like, you know, steep fall. But ultimately, it's this sense, and I don't know if this is part of what you felt at that moment, was that because you had kind of gotten down to the bare metal and there was nothing else there, that it kind of like opened up the potential for God to actually get in and reach you in the way he wanted to. Is that is that anything along like what you were thinking at the time or since then? Absolutely. I mean, my wife and I have talked about it on that starting at that point where it's like, okay, I guess we have nothing else. You know, God is still here for us. We should turn. We went to a a retreat. uh, Then it was called Chirp. Matthew Kelly's organization has since acquired it. It's called Welcome Now. And Chirp um, was a second in a series of retreats that that I had been on. And and it was the first that my wife had done, you know, separately. The men do one and the week women do the other. And it was while we were trying to clean up our house in this process of it going, we were trying to sell it before it was closed because we had a, some equity in it. And we went, I went to this chirp retreat and it was in that retreat where I realized just how bare metal I had become. Now mm. I, I had not received the gift yet where, uh, you know, the, the, you will know today, uh, experience, but I was getting to a point where I had nothing left and I knew I was getting to that point. And then after that day, my wife and I were just like, wow, this is everything from this on point out is just a gift from God. It's total grace. Mm. There's nothing we have that we earn. Everything we have had been given yeah. to us. And so at that point, we knew that it was in being stripped that we were really being allowed to be filled up and have been since that point. And even to this day, Deacon, I, I can't tell you how many times I fall back on I'll see somebody who I used to know in another life, or I'll see somebody driving a car that, you know, I used to drive or this or that. And I think, oh yeah, you know, I could go back and I could, oh, and I find myself falling back in and I get this, these knots in my stomach sure. and I think, oh, thank God I'm not there. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and allowing me to focus on that, which is really important. And that's my love for you. There's nothing, and that's what our society has lost. Absolutely. We don't understand that we are made to be loved and to love God. And uh, I, I'll bet you you saw the movie The Passion sure. uh, with Jim Caviezel. That, of course. In the theaters in 2004. Exactly. And, you know, I I, I continued to watch that. And it, it, one of the, the viewings I, I did, I was watching it and it, it washed over me like a wave when I finally recognized just how brutal God, God himself God, the father who became the son, mm-hmm. sacrificed himself through the most brutal death. You can't you can't even compare it to anything we know today in terms of torture. Right. I mean, the Romans were brilliant torturers. You know, they they had it down to a science. And what they did to Christ is staggering. When I think of that, God became man to 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 sacrifice himself in that way to show us how much he loves it just brings me to tears. You know, when I see that Eucharist on the altar being consecrated by that priest, I, I find myself at the point of tears almost every time I'm at mm. Mass because I realize I am truly loved Amen. and loved by God, the Father Almighty, the creator of the universe. Like, uh, it's overwhelming. Well, that, and that, that, 
is what you focus on. That's the thing. And you said it a moment ago when you were talking about your experience that, you know, you turned to your wife and said, well, we've lost everything. We've, we still have God. And, and it's a very natural and very human way to, you know, to, to, to be particularly in a moment like that. But that's the reality is that we always have everything. (laughs) You know what I mean? We always have everything. And it's, and, and that's the thing, but these, these, these sort of, uh, you know, trappings, et cetera, can build over time. I had a similar experience to you, Larry, in the sense that I also had an ascendant period of my career. I, I now own my own business, but I've left the kind of corporate world a number of years ago. But there's a moment when you're climbing, you're making more money, you're being promoted, you're, you're, you're you know, getting all these accumulations of things. Um, and for us, the big ticket item was, mostly because of my wife, was experiences and I, like going, going to places. Like we would spend all of our money traveling and what mm-hmm. a great grace that was, because it kept me from buying the gigantic McMansion out here in L.A., which is what everybody does. You know, they buy a plot of land, they build like three houses on one lot um, or mm-hmm. like the, 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 you know, the flash car or those kind of things. Because what I've experienced is as you do that and then you come to a place in your in your life where you lose a job or whatever the next thing has to be better or bigger or provide more money than the previous one precisely because you've added all of these, you know, things. And all it does is just continue to tighten the noose and like the stranglehold to the point where you just like snap. And how many examples of that do we see out in the world? You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just super, super fascinating to me um, how God works all the time. But but I'm with you a hundred percent that, you know, the world right now and, and, and the culture kind of, you know, provides the opposite perspective in many cases. And we gotta, we gotta be able to see through that. Deacon, that is so true. The, the world, and this is one of those things about the media space that I, I was never comfortable with is the consumerism that it pushes this false sense of, Mm. of plenty which is not at all plenty. It's the exact opposite. It's, it's unfulfillable want. When you go down that path, you can never have the best car. You can never have the nicest house. You can never have the best clothes. None of that stuff is attainable, even if you have billions of dollars, because there's always something else coming out. You know, it's like you can't catch up. It's a dog chasing their tail. It's, it's not possible. And so to try and go down a path of consumerism is a path to ruin. It is absolutely a disaster. And it's not what God wants for us. Mm. He wants us to feel that sense of plenty. You know, the thing that occurred to me, and this is, goes back to your comment about being a good receiver, is when we recognized where we were and we told people our story, people, you know, they came to us with so much love and care and compassion. We found out just what love was, how people really loved us and cared about us. And to this day, because of all that noise that you build up over those previous years, you know, I keep thinking, yeah, but they don't really like me. Or, you know, that sense of insecurity because you didn't, that that goes back 30 years from a failed contract or whatever, you know, that seeps into your sense of self-worth. You think, yeah, but, and there are no buts when it comes to God. And what he showed us is just what love meant. From my brothers and sisters and, and siblings, you know, from my brothers and sisters in the church community, mm. uh, from the clergy, from all these different places, the love that came into us. And still we get it to this day as a result of being at Catholic Charities for five years and now working with Father Spitzer. We have a totally different perspective. And we and success has become 
faithfulness, right? We, we, we think success is getting something when success is accepting what you've already been given for free, which is God's love and his grace. And Same. when you accept that, your life changes. It's Saint, a completely different world. St. Teresa of Calcutta, of course, you bring up immediately with, uh, you know, called to be faithful, right. not successful. You've also given Amen. me like at least three movie references so far in this conversation, <laughs> Larry. I've, uh, I've, um, <laughs> I haven't commented on the first two, uh, which was okay. the movie Glengarry Glen Ross, uh, which is all about mm-hmm. salespeople. If you haven't seen it or anybody who's listening yes. hasn't seen it, it's a incredible ensemble cast and a really yes. good movie. And then the second one was Wall Street, thinking of Gordon Gecko uh, and the line of how many you know yachts can you ski behind, right? This sense of the ever elusive proper amount of things that are material and commercial. And to your point, there is never an end to that. There's always never. another boat, another this, another that. But the one that I'm going to stop us on and hit on for a second is what you just described in that story. It, the, the very first image that came to mind was uh, uh, Frank Capra's movie, It's a Wonderful Life. At the, very, oh, yeah. at the very end of which is that scene, as you'll recall, where, you know, he's like, well, I really, you really did have, you know, friends and you really did have a wonderful life precisely because it was the people who at that lowest moment, unsolicited, went off and, and came together as a community in support of what your, what your challenge was. Mm-hmm. But we don't, you know, we, we think of getting to that point as a distinct failure. People run from the opportunity to be in those scenarios when, you know, God can use a moment like that to go, this is just a little tiny shred of how much you're loved that I'm going to show you. I'm going to have that $3,000 check. I'm going to have that guy walk up to you in the church and, you know, whisper some random thing in your ear that answers every question you've had. I'm going to have that, that, you know, it's like, he's like constantly trying to give us that, 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 that type of, you know, extravagant love. And we kind of put up blocks, like whether it's a yacht yes. or skiing behind or whatever it is, right? But we put these blocks up and it's like, that's why I think a lot of times he's just got to clear the decks. He's got to clear the decks, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's just super interesting. It's exciting to hear your story yeah. though. You bring up a great movie in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. And I look at It's a Wonderful Life and I you think back to the scene where Jimmy Stewart has realized that, he, that Uncle whatever his name is, uh, mm-hmm. lost everything. And there's that one moment where he's on the bridge and he has this look of absolute despair, utter desperation, right? Totally. Total despair. And I, I was there. Yep. I know what that feels like. And yep. then, then you contrast that with his house where the whole na- the whole city community is coming over and giving him money. And you know, the interesting thing about that is the joy that the people had that's it bringing the gifts that's it and if he hadn't gone through that none of those people would have experienced the joy of giving back to this guy who had done some really great things for people and now when he needed him they were there and they got to experience the joy of giving when you allow somebody to give you're allowing them to fulfill their mission in their life and you are so right that we run from that experience i ran from it um but then when you're in it, it's like, holy cow, I am, you are just overwhelmed by God, by the love that's expressed through these people and your friends that you didn't even know was there. And you that, never let them. You never let them. Exactly. You were blocking them um, or blocking God. And that, and that does, you know, bring, and you've mentioned it a couple of times, but it definitely 
brings me to the idea of the four levels of happiness, right? Where at the top of that pyramid, you've got this sort of ultimate good and this enduring sense of love. For, for, For folks who may not be as aware with that kind of modality that Father Spitzer has sort of introduced and which you obviously speak expertly about, kind of start breaking that down because we're, we're giving these examples and we're kind of starting at the top, but it's a continuum. Yeah. You don't, you, oftentimes you don't begin there unless maybe we're born that right. way and then we lose it. Right. Uh, which, right. which may be right. true. Maybe, maybe true. Maybe, maybe the innocence true. of childhood right. is like, we're starting from that point yeah. and we kind of chip away at it, but break it down for us, Larry. So, so we can kind of tease it apart a little bit. Sure. Sure. So the four levels of happiness starts with level one. And level one is the level of happiness that is derived from the senses. And the the most important thing to start with is that there are good and bad in every level, right? Mm. So each level has both good and bad. Level one is sensory. So whether that's touch, feel, smell, taste, uh, vision, hearing, all those senses that God gives us, he gives us those to experience joy and love, right? Whether it's a good meal, a good drink loving your spouse, whatever it may be, right? The, the touch of soft, uh, you know, uh, cloth on your skin or a warm, uh, you know, blanket on a cold day, all those things that are sensory, that's both good and bad. However, if you like a good drink, but you have 10 of them, that may not be good. Mm. So when you take things to excess, that becomes the negative side of level one, because level one is meant to experience things in moderation using temperance, right? Then level two is ego. It's the It's the id, the satisfaction of the ego. Now, um, level two can be really productive, right? We couldn't get anything done if we didn't have an ego. So there are really good things to ego. But think of power and money and, you know, influence. Those are good things if used properly. And they are terrible things if used improperly. Look Mm. at our current political state. Look at this FTX crypto guy who just blew a, a billion dollars of other people's money in, you know, 48 or, you know, 92, 72 hours. And that is a perfect example of the nightmare of level two. And we're hearing about these experiences that people have when they visit them in the Bahamas, these sex orgies and all this stuff that was on the news last night. Oh, yeah. it, it's horrible what was going through. That's a perfect example of negative level two. A good side would be somebody who works hard and builds a business, employs people, takes care of their family, helps other people, family, you know, they use that, that, that drive for good. That is a wonderful thing. Think of a, of some of our, uh, first, uh, responders, you know, whether it's, uh, an EMT or a police officer or a fireman, they're using that ego to do something really positive, right? Mm. A, A soldier, right? They're, they're using their ego to go out and defend us to say, Hey, not, you won't get past me. I'm, I've got you, these guys behind me covered. That's all ego driven. Now, if they go too far, it can become a negative thing, right? So you got to think about that. Then those are both inwardly focused, the first two levels, right? Uh, Senses and the ego. Then you move to level three, which is contributive. That's where you're giving of yourself. Mm. Now, not only is there a good and a bad side to every level, but levels exist concurrently. So think about uh, a first responder who's using their ego to develop their skills to do good and do what? To be contributive. And that is a perfect example of a, of a very positive and healthy level three. So level three is contribution. It's when I put the other person first, I start to look for the good in the other and how can I help them? 
But if helping them is all about me, as we mm-hmm. talked about, that's the downside of level three, right? Now it's about I'm giving more than you. I'm helping more than them. I'm doing this because I'm so great. That's where you get into a negative level two and level three, right? You're putting that ego in with your ability to help or your desire to help, and it, it becomes sour, it becomes mm. poison. My so sense is a, my sense is there's a lot of the billionaire philanthropy class that might fall into that category, right? If it's a, a, the the building gets named, the wing gets added, yep. the underwriting gets done, and it must be a very strong temptation, you know, to yes. which is which is why I've always looked like with a you know kind of with a little bit of a glint in my eye whenever I see an anonymous uh, donor of a massive sum, it's like wow, okay, that's somebody who's mastered that very strong temptation. Um, that yes. must exist, you know, at that level. Yes, that is so true. That is a perfect example of really, really healthy level three and level two. They made the money and then they gave it away. Um, the the gentleman that owns Hobby Lobby mm-hmm. just said that he was going to give his fortune away. He handed it over uh, and he is going to give away his wealth and live a simple life because he didn't want his life to be polluted by his success. What a amazing man, just brilliant. I have uh, a couple of people that I work with uh, at the Spitzer Center, Maja Center, um, who are the same kinds of contributors. I also work with Focus, Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And we have a tremendous number of benefactors at Focus that, that are just selfless in how they contribute and, and put things out there that they have. And they say, here, come use my house whenever you want. Yeah. It's just here. I'm not using it and I want it to go to good. That's a great example. You know, and don't tell anybody I'm doing it. I don't want them to know whose house it is. It's a beautiful thing. And then just to cap it off, the top of the pyramid, level four, that is a transcendent relationship with God. That's where you open yourself up to the love, mercy, and compassion, the grace that's poured out upon us through Jesus Christ, his son, and the Holy Spirit. When you reach that level of transcendent love, that is the ultimate level of happiness. And until you really allow yourself to get there, you're always going to be uneasy and a little restless, wondering, what is that thing I long for, as St. Augustine said, right? My heart is restless until it rests in thee, Lord. And that is so true because we are made by God for God, to love God. That's the only reason he makes us, right? Is that we would love him, which is why we have free will. He says, you don't have to love me. Go off and live in level one and two or three and whatever. But I'm here and I love you and I made you so that you would turn to me. But I only want you to turn to me if you want to turn to willingly. me. Willingly. Mm-hmm. Yes, knowingly, that essence of free will. So the negative side of level four is I love God more than you. I'm holier than thou. Wow. I'm, you know, this and that. And you can, the, the, the evil one can always get in there and twist that, that concept of good to something negative. And that's where you have to fall back on, hold it. I'm with Jesus. I love him. He loves me. I'm not going to be in a competition. I'm not going to get into the comparison game, which is the ultimate uh, evil that the devil brings into all of this, meaning I am better or have more than you. It's the win-loss, win-lose, draw game. And you lose it, all three of them. We we have a um, kind of one of these... Uh like a sign, basically. It's like one of these, you know, framed quotes, I should say it that way, in our kitchen. And it says, comparison is the thief of everything. And oh, my, my, wife, my wife has always loved that statement because it addresses exactly the point that you made. I'm also thinking, it's very insightful, um, 
to hear about this idea that of, of the coexistence of these good and bad uh, characteristics along this journey. Because number one, it's very Christian in the sense that you could take something like this and say, this is a plan for life. And once you get here, you're good. And there are programs and even some, you know, some faiths, or at least they would call themselves that, that operate in a similar way. You know, you get to this moment of enlightenment and you're kind of good. But that um, removes the Christian principle of the importance of the moment and the fact that we're living in the present. And, you know, that's all that we have, right? So there is no this, there's mm-hmm. no perfect end state until we're in the beatific vision and then we're into eternity. So I, I love that idea of the coexistence of these characteristics along the way. I saw that in evidence at the top end, I would say, at the sort of um, ultimate good enduring phase. When I heard a story that my brother told me, my brother is a religious priest. He's a Benedictine, lives in a monastery with 20 other monks. And nice. he, when he first came into community, Larry, he told me a story about him asking the abbot for permission to do all night adoration. Okay. And the abbot said no. And, and I, I kind of started breaking this down with him because my, my immediate thought was like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Like, I want to spend all night with Jesus in adoration and you're telling me no. And then I had my brother break it down for me, right? Over, over a period of time, this didn't happen all on one conversation. But what mm-hmm. the abbot wanted to guard against as a good shepherd and a pastor of souls was any potential of false humility. Any potential of like what you just described, right? I'm here and now I'm doing this and maybe something can creep in like, oh, well, if the other brothers don't see me doing this, they might think of whatever or, 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 or some vague sense of competition that might come from that, from that exchange. So it was in lear- having that story that I recognized, okay, even at these other levels of the spiritual walk, there's always that potential. And, you know, in this case, somebody helped them guard against it, but we have to guard against it. And just knowing that it's there, the potential exists is key, you know, because you can get yourself into this like seven steps of whatever. And it's like, Oh, I'm already past that. Right. And I don't mean any disrespect, but it reminds me a little bit of Scientology in the sense of you've got these different levels, right? These, these levels of attainment. Um, and, and, and it's easy to kind of fall into that if you're looking at, at sort of these hierarchical models, but this and what you and what father Spitzer do and by, by bringing to, you know, to people's awareness, the fact that there's this coexistence or the potential on both sides is like really important, you know, because you can get yeah. caught up into that sense of I've attained, therefore I don't have to worry about, you know, something bad coming in at this level. Yeah. You know, uh, Deacon, you point out a really interesting thing and in that, that this is a walk with Christ. We are constantly given the opportunity to choose mm-hmm. good, bad. You know, comparison game, no comparison game. Every day, God gives us a chance to say, I choose you and I'm going to I'm going to be an example to others of what that choice looks like and how I can be faithful and loving and kind. And so uh, when somebody says, oh, yeah, I've already achieved that. I always kind of have a bit of a smirk. Maybe they have. Who am I to, you know, I'm out of your shoes. I don't know what you did. I don't know where you are. But I also know that. I am constantly on a move to get something uh, more, to be closer to God. I don't know about you, but, you know, when you start looking at all the things out there and the great doctors of the church, you, you could read from now until the day that you die and you never read it all. Nope. Right. You could read the Bible every day 
from now until, and you would find a new thought every time you picked it up, yep. no matter how many times you read that passage. So the beauty of God is he's given us this opportunity to constantly discover and grow closer to him. So when somebody says, I've achieved this, I'm like, I don't know how that feels because I am yeah. constantly, you know, on a path and it's beautiful. It's a great path to be on. Um, and it's contrary to what our society says, which is, well, if you do this, you'll have that. Mm. The irony, of course, is that when you get there, you realize there's 18 more things you still want. Whereas when you get closer to God, you realize, wow, OK, I'd like to be I'd like to know him better. And yet I'm fo- totally comfortable with where I am with my relationship with him right now, because I I I chose it and I put everything I had up until this point into it. So that in and of itself is fulfilling, you know? One of my favorite uh, descriptors for for the Godhead, for the Trinity, is inexhaustible. Every time yeah. I hear that, I'm like, yeah, that, that kind of approaches it, right? Because w- there is infinite in the Godhead and in the Trinity. So therefore, it follows that our ability to chip away at understanding the infinite can add forever. In other words, there's always something new, different, a new perspective, a new insight. I was giving a class recently on um, Lexio Divina and I was trying to explain, I know, you know, it's like, yes, I know you've heard the passage, the old man, you know, Lazarus and whatever, or the, you know, the loaves and the fishes. I know, you know, this, but what you know is sort of the container, you know, the container, the stuff that's, the stuff that's in it is going to be fresh every time, like every single time. Because that's who God is. God is infinite and inexhaustible. And so there's always something new to give you. My wife's favorite gospel uh, verse is from the last chapter of the Gospel of John, where the Bible itself says, if we were to write down everything that Jesus did, there's no amount of books in the world that could fit everything in it, right? So even the Bible points us to this you know, just greater amount of stuff that we're, that we're, that we're going to come in contact with. But there is this desire while we're here on this plane to want to just get to that, you know, get to that finish line, whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's, it's a bit of, um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a mirage. It's a bit of an illusion. Um, I talked to, you know, young business folks like you and I who came up in media, et cetera, and the amount of frustration that gets developed in just this sense of I'm always chasing something like you're going to get to a point where you can just throw up your arms and go, I'm here. It's like that never happens. That never happens. Never. The moment that you let that safety valve open up and go, listen, it's okay. It's about the journey. Right? So even in business, like, you know, you can, you can issue some of these same principles and they make sense, even though they're, they're rooted in much deeper, um, you know, spiritual truths. No, that is so true. You know, um, the interesting thing about your budgets every year mm. is that you you build a budget and then you try and achieve that budget and you try and hit that stretch goal. And let's say you hit it, right? And you get done, you get to the end of the year. Well, you have a whole new budget. All these stretch goals and the anxiety that can be created and generated unnecessarily for the people in that uh, environment is staggering. Now, I'm not. I'm a big fan of budgets. I'm a big fan of targets and working towards goals. I mean, God wants us to bring as many people as we can sure. to know Him, right? So there are. That's a good and healthy level two activity. But when you overemphasize it and you put these things out there for yourself to say, 
I'm only going to be happy if you've just stepped into that slippery slope of unhealthy level two, level one, level three. I mean, it's just, it's a disaster. So to your point, I think we really have to be careful about that. The, the box might be the container, but it's always fresh material if you're focused on God, because he's always giving you something else to discover. And it's, it's always a positive, loving experience. It's just, I don't know how to explain it to people, but it's joyful. It's yeah. real, honest to God joy. I recently rediscovered the examined prayer. You know, Father Spitzer talks about it all the time. Wow, it was so refreshing at the end of the day to sit back and think, okay, how did I do today? Now that might have at first seem, wow, I hate, I hate evaluating myself, but it, it opens my eyes to, well, I did some really good things today. And I did some things that I can improve on tomorrow. And when you look at it through the eyes of God, who's all forgiving and all loving, it's, you can't wait for tomorrow because I get to improve on that and love God even more and experience his love. And that is a I mean, it's just a refreshing experience compared to what our society tells us is good and bad. Are you in your experience? Do you think that our culture and I'm speaking specifically here of like, you know, the U.S., culture, right? Our culture as Americans right now in 2022, mm-hmm. is it particularly um, sort of dominated by one of these levels or or is it, I guess, where is the, the, the biggest sticking point based on the kind of cultural backdrop that we have in people experiencing these different levels of happiness? Is it at that kind of pleasure level? Is it on the achievement side? Like where is our biggest sort of breakthrough level as a culture based on everything that, that's going on? Well, unfortunately, I think our culture has gone in the last, you know, 70 years from the most giving and altruistic culture, the greatest generation that ever lived, you know, what took place in World War II in the United yeah. States was really an amazing country that stepped up and defended freedom and put down fascism and, and was really a remarkable force in the world to where we are today, where I think we're, we're laughed at and mocked in the world. Um, the amount of consumerism and moral relativism that has become what the United States is all about is really disjointed and, and uh, disappointing. I mean, mm. it's tragic, really. And when you think about where is the United States, it's stuck in level one and two. And it's like a never ending, um, you know, washing cycle or dryer cycle. You just keep going around and around and around. And and then you see the haves who are outside of that, who keep taking things out. And the vast majority of us stay in that spin cycle. We can't break out of it. Right. So it's unfortunate. But no matter where we even when you talk about the environment, you know, I'm 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 not picking sides here. But if you look at what the United States has done in terms of trying to be better at the environment, right? We have reduced our emissions. We have reduced our output of, of uh, carbon and a number of other things, right? More so than any country in the world. And yet we are looking at ourselves like we've, we haven't achieved anything mm. instead of saying, wait, we're really doing good. Are we talking to other people about that? And now we go down this path of, well, you've got to cut back even more to the point where you're cutting in, you've gone through the muscle and now you're cutting into, into the bone. bone. Yeah. And nobody's, nobody's stopping back and saying, wait a minute, this is crazy. We're here. These, these are things given to us by God to live a good and healthy and fruitful life. And we're saying they're bad. 
Good has become bad and bad has become good. Mm -hmm. That's the sign of really unhealthy level one and two. Mm. And even contribution in our society is not very positive. It's about me giving more, me having a better ability to serve and all these other things. And then look at what people give to. When people start giving to things like Planned Parenthood and other things that are either taking life away from the unborn or, God forbid, we're now moving into, uh, you know, assisted suicide in so many different places. You, you see how we've opened our borders to allow this fentanyl crisis to expand and explode. And these aren't political issues. These are just foolish decisions being made by a society out of control. So I think there's hope. I, 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 there's no place like the United States of America. I've traveled fairly extensively in Europe, Africa, and Asia. Everybody wants to live in the United States because of our laws and our structures and whatnot. But we really need to take a step back and remember that we have forced God out of our schools, out of our community, out of the, uh, the public at large. And we really need to open ourselves back up to that and let God back in. That's what made us great. And without that, I, I fear for our future. And I think there's a there's a deep sort of scientific principle in some of which you've said. And the principle I think about is the fact that nature abhors a vacuum. And yep. because a lot of the things that you've mentioned can blend into the idolatrous. And it mm -hmm. stands to reason as you remove God, you create a vacuum. Nature abhors that vacuum and then tries to fill it with something else. And things that are good and noble, if properly understood, like, for instance, care of our planet and environmentalism and, and, and being in conservation, all of which are objectively good things, to be good steward mm -hmm. of the environment, to care for nature, those things in that vacuum scenario can become an idol, right? It can be, well, this is the ultimate good. I was talking to my buddy just yesterday about... I won't name who, but somebody who's very well known, who's one of these like multi-billion dollar uh, philanthropists, very politically active too, has a whole perspective on how the world should look, et cetera. And, you know, he asked me, well, what could be this person's motivation? Because by all accounts, they don't really have much of a faith component in what we know of them. And, and I said, well, it could be something like health as an example. You know, even the old saying, you know, at least you've got your health that's kind of what I'm referring to in the sense that whatever your ultimate good is, whatever the, the sort of sum of all things for you is, is going to trickle down to everything that you do. And if that ultimate sum of all things isn't God, it's going to show up in, in what you do, how you do, and we're going to see it in the results, right? And right now, what I think we see in the results is the sum of a lot of people living a life where the ultimate good is not the transcendent is not the you know the a, a, a deity or an understanding of the of god and by virtue of that we're seeing the downstream effects of that and and a lot of it is very sad and tragic and difficult to contend with and we we definitely can't lose hope because we're also christians right we know we there's victory at the end but nevertheless we we can look at what's happening and 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 be heartbroken about it, but I, but I think it's it's it might be based on some of that. And you know, as I told my buddy who isn't a Christian, the one who asked me about this, um, I said, "Hey, it's in one of God's top tens, right? He doesn't he doesn't dig other gods. Like he, that's just his thing. He you know, right, it's yeah. it's that's just it's not it's not a thing. So if you put another one there, it's it's not going to work out for you." Yeah, I, I think that's number one on the top ten list. <laughs> that's actually. right. That's right. <laughs> that's the top. The top ten. Yeah, the number one yeah. on the top ten. 
Exactly. That is, that is so true. Yeah. Uh, I often wonder what that motivation is and um, it, it, it baffles. It's, it's a lack of God. There's, there is no recognition of the creator. And you know, one of the beautiful things I know we're going to run out of time here that father Spitzer does, and he's just come out with a new book called the moral wisdom of the Catholic church, which mm-hmm. goes and proves using science and reason and logic, these proofs of the existence of God and why his teachings are so applicable. They're so rational and they're so good for us. When some mm. people say you have too many rules, it's like, well, no, we have guidelines that make us healthy. It, you know, if um, if I tell uh, my child, don't put your hand on the stove because you'll burn it if the you know if it's on. That's not too many rules. That's just a guideline to help you stay healthy and not burn your hand. And it's in that same vein that we think about the the rules and the guidelines that God gives us. But when we take them out of our lives, you can't be anything but miserable because you're made for that. And science proves his existence. Science today can tell us, you know, we know that a baby is a baby at conception because they have their own DNA. And what do we use to define our our identity today in all of our legal situations? It's DNA. Mm. And yet we refuse to recognize that with the unborn. As just one example, though, of where science is coming out and saying, oh, no, this is true. What God said originally is correct. And now you can prove it because science is on God's side. He created it. And we forget that sometimes that these people who want to throw it away, they're going to throw God away for this other idol, whether that be the environment or science or money or whatever. They're all gods. And when you don't recognize it, you're going to be miserable. And that's what we're seeing, I think, unfortunately, in a lot of uh, our civilization today. No question. No created thing does not have a creator, right? So all created things have a creator um, and just start pointing in that direction. Um, Well, Larry, normally on the show, as fans will know, we have a section called Wait What? But given given our scheduling and the fact that I took advantage of your availability, I actually don't have a Wait What? segment this week. So you get you get okay. off you get you get off scot free with um with uh, with the three questions that we typically ask the guests at the end, but I'd love to have you back on and maybe at some point um we'll we'll do that. But in the meantime, um yeah. what a great what a great privilege it was to have you come by to visit. Huge fan of you and your work and everything that the Father Spitzer and the Magic Center is is doing. Encourage everybody to you know to avail themselves of of uh, of you guys, and in fact, I would ask you just before we break to you know mention how people can come in contact with the four levels of happiness, with you know the center itself, and the work that you guys are doing. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Magiscenter.com is our primary website, and from there, uh, it, once you get on that the primary website, if you just scroll down that new technology of, of web development. You'll see all the offerings that we have for uh, the Spitzer Center and for uh, Credible Catholic and our teaching programs and the Purposeful Universe information that we have out there, some great videos. And it's all the Father's work is contained there. And of course, you can always uh, go to our store and his books are available. They're also available from Ignatius Press, uh, which has done uh, a lot of them. And then we also have a YouTube channel. So if you want to see Father in action, Go into YouTube, uh, search for Father Spitzer, sign up for our, our YouTube channel, and you can see all of the uh, videos that he's produced and his content. And he's got a number of talks in there on uh, the four levels of happiness, the Shroud of Turn, and a number of other really amazing things. Um, and if I could, I'd just like to challenge the audience to one thing. And somebody challenged me to this. I didn't think of this. 
and it changed my life. And it would be to ask everybody over the next 30 days, between now and Christmas, to witness once a day to a stranger your faith by using the word Jesus Christ or God in a sentence to them. Mm. It could be a telemarketer who before you hang up, you say, God bless. But somewhere along the day, you have to witness to just one person by using the name Jesus Christ in a sentence or God. Mm. And if you're really stuck and no telemarketers have called you, but somebody sneezes, you can always say, God bless. And that could cover, cover your obligation. But I promise your listeners that if they do that for 30 days, it'll change their relationship with God and with other people in their faith. So I, I would just throw that out as a, as I love a fun that. challenge. I love that. Throw down the gauntlet, brother. That's great. And Gesundheit yeah. doesn't count. So no Gesundheits. No. <laughs> or even, or even, in, or even in Spanish for Latino <laughs> listeners, uh, salud doesn't work because in, in no. Spanish you might, you might know you know that probably Larry, but that just means health, like good That's health, right? right? No, the, yeah. neither neither of those count. Well, awesome. No. Once again, brother, thank you very much for uh, making time. Our prayers for you, for your ministry, for your family, for all the good work that um, you guys are up to. Uh, what a what a privilege to have you on. Thank you very much. Thanks, Deacon. It was a pleasure. I'm happy to come back. Enjoyed it. Look forward to seeing you and your lovely wife again soon. Awesome. And if you're listening to our voices, that means it is time to subscribe to the show. To share this episode, maybe somebody who you see perceptively is in one of those levels of happiness and maybe could use a little dose of what comes next, share this episode with them. We'll see you again next time on Living the Call.